Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What was Woodstock? How did arguably the most famous American music festival come together? And how is Woodstock's influence still felt today? We'll answer all of these questions and more on this edition of Getting Schooled. I'm Abby Hornacek. All right, we've all heard the classic Brian Adams hit, Summer of 69. But I'm sure some wonder why he immortalized that summer specifically. Why not the summer of 66 or the summer of 71? Well, it all comes down to one word, Woodstock. For three days at a dairy farm in Bethel, New York, nearly half a million people had front row seats to what would become one of America's most iconic music festivals. So what made Woodstock Woodstock? Why was this festival so iconic? And what is the legacy of those three summer days in 1969? Well, here to walk me through all of this is graduate professor of music at the University of Central Florida, Professor George Waramchuk. George joins me now. George, how's it going? Very well, thanks. How are you doing? I am doing great. Thank you for asking. You know who else was great? Probably the people who went to Woodstock. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right, this is this is a fun topic, right? So what exactly was Woodstock for, for the youngsters who weren't around in the 60s? Well, Woodstock was uh, a three-day festival in upstate New York. Uh, it took place uh, between August 15th and 17th in 1969. And it's uh, gone down as one of the most important um, cultural events, music events in the, in the last half of the 20th century. Um, it was uh, to, to a little bit of a backstory uh, at the end of the 1960s. It was a pretty turbulent time in the United States. Um, the uh, country was involved in, in a very unpopular war in Vietnam, and it had been dragging on and on since the mid 60s. And so there was you know, no end in sight. Many draft age uh, uh, young men <clears throat> uh, decided to to. Uh, uh, opposed the draft and and went to uh, Canada. Um, you had young Americans were protesting the war. Civil rights was a big thing at that time too. Martin Luther King Jr. had been championing civil rights for many many years, and it uh, um, even though there were some some roadways made, they were still not completely um, didn't come to fruition and still in, in many ways, 40 years later or 50, 52 years later, still, um, hasn't come to what, uh, he had envisioned. So, um, a, a lot of different things leading up to this, uh, monumental, uh, event. Uh, I can talk a little bit about the, the history of, of, yeah. uh, uh, of events prior to this, you know, there were many musical, uh, festivals uh, leading up to Woodstock, even though Woodstock at that time was the largest. 
But beginning in uh, 1967 in uh, California, uh, there was what was known as the Monterey International Pop Festival. And uh, that summer in 1967 was dubbed the Summer of Love. So people from all over the, the country uh, traveled to um, the San Francisco Bay Area and congregated there for this wonderful festival uh, that attracted about 60,000 um, attendees. Some of the breakout acts uh, were The Who. Uh, they were on the same uh, evening concert with Jimi Hendrix, and they kind of flipped a coin as to who was going to go on first. Um <laughs> It's a the very high tech way to decide who gets to go on first. Right, I was right. I was envisioning rock paper scissors, so I'm glad to right. know that it was a coin. Right. <laughs> right. So um, the Who didn't want to follow um, uh, Jimi Hendrix, so they went on first, and uh, famously, uh, the drummer blew up his drum set, and uh, Pete Townsend, the guitarist, uh, uh, smashed his guitar on stage. And so they, they said, there's no way Jimi Hendrix can follow that. Well, he, <laughs> out and he did a great concert and ultimately set his guitar on fire. So this so is the, just to be clear, this is at the Monterey International Monterey, Pop Festival. Right, All right. right, exactly. In 1967, just giving you a little bit of backstory mm, as right. to history of festivals. All right, we got to step aside real quickly, but class will be back in session right after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So just a quick question, if I could jump in here real quick. What made Woodstock then different from the Monterey International Pop Festival and other festivals at that time? Well, it just was leading up um, from 67 to 68. There were some festivals. In fact, um, one of the organizers of the uh, Woodstock Festival's name was Michael Lang, and he produced the Miami Pop Festival in 1968. So he kind of got his foot in the door in terms of, of you know, these kind of uh, event plannings. Uh, uh, that uh, concert attracted about 40,000 people. And um, so the Woodstock was a culmination of, of all these previous festivals. And um, what there were four individuals that were part of, well, the, the original thought of Woodstock, there's a recording studio up there. So Woodstock, New York is 100 miles north of New York City. And they had this idea to raise money to build this recording studio. And the concert was going to promote this. Mm. Um, and the, the festival was, would raise money for this recording studio, which is still there 50 years later. People travel from all over to record uh, uh, records there. But it was the uh, four organizers. There were two hippies, as they were called back <laughs> then, kind of anti-establishment people. Michael Lang, who I just mentioned, co-producer of the Miami Pop Festival, and Artie Kornfeld. He was a uh, executive with Mercury Records. So they enlisted the help of two guys who were kind of the money guys. And they were all in their mid to late 20s. Uh, John Roberts uh, uh, came from a wealthy family and he had some money to to donate or to invest in. So they came up with this. Uh, they put an ad in the uh, New York uh, newspaper said young men with unlimited capital looking for interesting and legitimate <laughs> business ideas. What an ad, huh? So, 
Yeah. So, so, so Michael Lang and Artie Kornfeld jumped on that. And the four of these individuals formed this uh, um, organization called the Woodstock Ventures Enterprises. And so they, the, um, the idea was to put on this festival, but they had to find a site for the festival. So it, it was called Woodstock, but uh, there is a city Woodstock or town, but they couldn't get any um, uh, permits that they needed to set up some kind of a festival like this. And, and bear in mind, no one had any idea that there were going to be 400,000 people there. Okay, that was right. the, the final headcount. You know, wow. they were expecting 50, you know, maybe 60,000. And even then, the residents of, of, Woodstock, of Woodstock, New York, balked at the idea of having that many people there. Uh, another site was Saugerties, which was close by, but lawyers had questioned the uh, viability of this uh, Woodstock Ventures group. So that was a, a, a kibosh. Walk Hills, another place, and residents uh, objected to that. So Michael Lang... Uh, was was get, running out of ideas. And so he was uh, uh, famous for riding his motorcycle. There's a great movie uh, that your listeners might want to see uh, based on Woodstock, a great documentary. And Michael Lang is riding his motorcycle. So he before, like a month before the, the fe- festival was scheduled to take place, he's riding his motorcycle, comes across this um, dairy farm which had this this beautiful landscape with a you know with a rolling hill it kind of was like a natural amphitheater so at the bottom of the hill they were going to place the stage or, or construct a stage and then above there that would be kind of uh, where where the uh, uh, attendees would would uh, congregate so the the farm would belong to Max Yasger who was a uh, a dairy farmer uh, who kind of sided with the hippies. You know, he understood their plight, the idea that um, uh, the young people were against world, uh, the Vietnam War and, and all that. So he, he agreed to this and um, they commenced to um, get the appropriate uh, documentation to have this festival. Since it was private property, he could do what he wanted. So there was really no recourse that the, the town had in Bethel. Uh, but then they had to secure rights to, there was a pond there. So they had to get access to a the pond, pond. Uh, a pond, yeah, like a, you know, small lake. Right. And uh, uh, also conflicting was um, summer camps that were in the area, you know, for, for young kids, uh, traffic jams that they didn't foresee, you know, so all of a sudden, uh, you know, the road leading up into Bethel was like one lane in each direction. Well, it was, it was, it were traffic jams and people wound up, you know, just, leaving their cars on the side of the road and walking, you know, the next couple of <laughs> It's kind of like Field of Dreams at the end of the movie when all those cars are lined up on that one single road leading up to the, the fields. Right. 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 Okay, exactly. wait, I, I have to interrupt. Okay, so you told me that they expected to have around fifty to 60,000 people come, but then it ended up being about 400,000. Right. How did it go from 50,000 to 400,000? Because back then, I mean, there was no social media. How did the word get out? Right, right. So they placed ads in, in newspapers. You know, there was like the Village Voice, which was a, a popular uh, uh, newspaper for decades and decades. So they placed ads in there. They placed ads in uh, uh, music trade uh, magazines. Um, and so that's how they got the word out. And just people started to... You know, it's a word of mouth kind of thing where uh, uh, previously, so this was at the end of August, at the beginning of August, there was a festival in Atlantic City. So they, they were advertising this Woodstock festival there as well. Mm-hmm. So it just kind of was like a, 
a tsunami of of uh, of uh, information and and it just kind of got got around that way and, and people uh, you know they they had no idea what to expect you know they had to build fencing around the facility so people who you know had to pay mm-hmm. six dollars to get in for an all day event I think. If you if you were there for three days, it was fifteen dollars for. Oh wow! <laughs> Must be nice. For, <laughs> for less than a hundred dollars. With this inflation we've got nowadays, you can't even buy a candy bar for fifteen dollars. Right, um, right. So so then, what was different? I, I know I asked this before, but you talk about these other festivals that kind of existed already. Why Woodstock? Why? I mean, I'm I was born in nineteen ninety four. I have heard of Woodstock, obviously, but these other festivals you named, I haven't. So why do we remember Woodstock um, just throughout every generation? Right. I think because of the magnitude of the uh, of the size of, of the crowds, uh, there was one thing. It was a very peaceful event. I mean, can you imagine nowadays if you had 400,000 mm. people? This was very peaceful. Uh, you know, this was the, the, you know, peace and love movement. Uh, in the late '60s, um, you know, hippies, as they were called, were 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 nonviolent people, um, and and they cohabitated. You know, so there was an estimation that at the, you know with 400,000 people, it was like the third largest city in all of New York. You know, for those three days, wow. and they just they went without a hitch. There was no violence. Uh, unfortunately, three people died. One person had an overdose. You know, there were a lot of drugs, LSD. Um, so people overdosed on, on LSD. Um, one person had appendicitis and passed away. Wow. Uh, but, you know, generally when you have that many people and, and just, you know, three fatalities, it was, it was a wonder that nothing got worse. Mm-hmm. You know, they ran out of food too. You know, you can't p- predict how much food to have. And there was an or- a group called the uh, Merry Pranksters. So they were they drove their buses, their psychedelic buses all the way from San Francisco to Woodstock. And they helped facilitate the distribution of food and water. Um, they set up like was there a shortage of dairy milk because this was on a dairy farm. Right. I mean, did they yeah, have any- <laughs> I don't, yeah, well, they I had some milk up the, there? I, I think probably the cows were, were horrified and maybe went into <laughs> shock with all the loud music. So maybe there was no 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 milk. No milk. Consume. Hippies nowadays right. might drink oat milk. So back in the day, yeah, maybe. Right. <laughs> right. The cow's milk wouldn't have been wouldn't have been possible. But right. but to have that many you know and sanitation facilities were in short supply. So and the other thing was that uh, this is in the end of August and there was quite a bit of rain. So two of the days were like, you know, there was like a deluge of rain that postponed concerts. People were in the mud there. There, you know, if you watch the movie, you can see people sliding down the hills all covered in mud and, you know, having a good old time. <laughs> but with lightning too, it was a problem because, you know, you've, you've got an open stage, there's electricity on stage. And apparently some people got, you know, shocked from, from electricity. Uh, I was just refreshing my memory with some of these things. And Bob Weir of the Grateful Dead, he stepped up to his microphone and uh, was was thrown back like 10 feet <gasps> from getting, you know, almost electrocuted. So wow. really dangerous. So the weather played a huge role. Yeah, huge role. And so they postponed concerts. Uh, you know, these things went on all day. So it's on the first day 
uh, it was uh, that Friday. And um, again, people, they had no idea. People were just coming in droves and droves and the schedule was kind of thrown off. So uh, Richie Havens, who was a, a, a folk artist at that time, was one of the first people that arrived with half of his band. So the organizers, you know, implored for him to go up and, and play. And so he agreed. And um, there's a famous song that he uh, sang called Freedom with him and just an acoustic guitar. And it just really kind of, uh, you know, it was a very impassioned plea, you know, freedom. Again, again, what was going on during that time, civil, civil rights, um, uh, Vietnam War. So it was a very poignant song to start off the whole festival. Who, who else played during Woodstock that um, has kind of, you know, gone down in history that might have been their big moment? Uh, many. There were many. Uh, the Probably the biggest was the group Santana. Ah. So they had just started. Uh, they're from San Francisco. And then, you know, you've got to remember, uh, like you said, there's no social media. So a, a band, uh, people on the East Coast would have no idea of uh, some of these bands from the West Coast. Now, Santana was just starting out uh, in the late 1960s. So this was 1969. Um, and uh, Santana, Carl Santana himself was, I think, 19. The drummer, Michael Shrive, was 20. So these were just kids and playing in front of 400,000 people. So this really kind of made Santana's uh, career, mm. that, that performance at, uh, at Woodstock. And he's still, still playing to this day. Right. San yeah, Santana's great. Um, yeah. that, that's interesting because... Like you said before, I mean, they didn't expect all these people to be there. So even as a performer, you probably showed up to this thing and said, wow, I had no idea I was going to be playing in front of 400,000 people. I mean, what a what a great career break for a lot right. of those people who were just starting out. Right. Uh, and just to think you look out on the sea of people, you know, I, if, you know I've never played for more than maybe 10,000 people. I mean, can you imagine you're 19 years old and all of a sudden you get thrown on stage? in front of, you know, hundreds of thousands of people. No, I, can't even I can't even imagine. The most I've done is a piano concert when I was like six in front of 15 parents. <laughs> um, so then how do you think Woodstock has changed the music industry? You talk about Santana and then I also, my mind goes to current festivals that kind of are like Woodstock, um, like Coachella. There's the country version, Stagecoach, but Coachella probably is more like Woodstock just from what you've explained. Um, yeah, there's also Bonnaroo, which is in, in Tennessee. That's another festival mm. that might be a little closer. Coachella seems to me like a little bit more, uh, uh, you know, high end in terms of ticket prices, yeah. you know, Bonnaroo. Yeah, or like still, Burning think, Man, still, something like that. Yeah, yeah. I've never been to Burning Man, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Neither uh, have I. But I think it's more the Bonnaroo Festival in Tennessee is a little bit more kind of grassroots oriented. Okay. Uh, but, you know, after Woodstock, uh, that was things changed uh, drastically. So the the this was the end of the 1960s, a very turbulent uh, time in history. Uh, the last big festival uh, in America uh, was the Altamont Festival. This was in California, and this was a festival that the Rolling Stones and the um, Grateful Dead had organized, and it was kind of like a, a festival uh, that the Rolling Stones wanted to thank their um, fans. And it was a very poorly organized festival. And tragically, a, a man was stabbed to death right in front of the stage where the Rolling Stones were playing. So here you had the, the peace and love of um, Woodstock 
and then tragically, you know, that was the end of the innocence, if you will, of you know the the tragic death of a of a, a concert goer right in front of the Rolling Stones. They and the Stones had no idea that somebody had been stabbed because right. the lighting was poor. And you know, there's a movie that's out there that shows all of that. And and it wasn't until after that the Rolling Stones had realized that. So it was really the the end of a generation. Uh, uh, this kind of idealistic thing, uh, Woodstock came to be um, with this peacefulness so that meant people that were able to congregate. And then you had you had, uh, um, uh, you know, the death at that Altamont. So that was kind of right. the end. And, you know, festivals today. So they try to rekindle Woodstock. It was like Woodstock 1995, uh, which notoriously had a lot of violence. People had set stuff on fire and it was just, you know, the 180 degree uh, change from what uh, the original Woodstock was. So you could never recreate that. Uh, and it was right. th then it became more of a money thing, you know, like with Woodstock, they lost money. They, they, you know, they had promised, you know, for example, Creedence Clearwater Revival was a band and they were really big uh, in the late 60s. So they had they commandeered a fee of ten thousand dollars. Well, you know, there were like 25 different acts. The Grateful Dead played. Um, uh, Jimi Hendrix played. So the, the event was supposed to end uh, a Sunday evening, but because of all of the rain, it just pushed everything back. So on, on the third day of the event, um, uh, music was still going on after midnight. So you, know, you were asking about another band that got famous with Sly and the Family Stone, which is another um, a band from San Francisco. Mm -hmm. Uh, they they that launched their career as well. And what was was interesting about that band is that they were made up of both you know uh, people of color and and white skinned people, both male and female. So we had a, this great kind of chemistry in the band. Mm -hmm. uh, Jefferson Airplane also played. They became Jefferson Starship after that. And it wasn't until um, uh, the, the third day. Uh, or the, the final day that that um, Jimi Hendrix finally came came out to play. Uh, this was nine o'clock in the morning on August 19th. So the event, as I said, was supposed to end on the 18th, but it went till the 19th. And then uh, at that at that point, most people had left and there were only about 40,000 people. Wow, left you got to stick crowd. it through and look, it, look, that's a lesson yeah. for people to learn. You got to stay till the end. <laughs> right, right. Um, well, they just had enough of being wet. You know, yeah. no, you know they didn't bring a change of clothes. Nobody had an idea. Uh, of of uh, what what to expect there. People slept. Some brought their own little tents. Others just slept out on the on the hill, you know, <laughs> in the rain. Sounds lovely. We'll be right back after this. What what are some things that people don't know about Woodstock? I mean that it, people. So at that time, they were reporting these events on the news. So like you know, CBS Evening News for those three days was reporting this and, there, and the state police got involved and they thought that this was going to be a, a raucous, uh, out of control of event. But but what people need to realize, it was just, a, you know, a very peaceful uh, event. Uh, people worked in harmony, that people shared food, you know, if, you, if they didn't have any water or food, that they shared it with somebody that, uh, that um, didn't have it. Uh, there was a guy by the name of Wavy Gravy who was part of this hippie contingent. Wavy Gravy. From, yeah. What a name. Wavy Gravy. So he came from, he was part of the, uh, what he called the hog farm. And they were part of these hippies that came over from uh, from San Francisco to help with the with the facilitating of food. So it just, um, uh, it's just a very peaceful event. 
some bands that were that were scheduled to play uh, didn't show up. For example, Led Zeppelin was supposed to play, <laughs> but their uh, their manager uh, uh, said that uh, they'd rather go out on their own summer tour. Um, a group called Mountain, uh, which was pretty big at the time, they didn't want to be part of the the movie, so they lost in the movie and on the soundtrack. So uh, other bands profited from you know record sales and the tv sales in fact the the movie the woodstock documentary won an oscar award um academy award back in the 1970 mm. very very well done if, if your readers haven't seen it they should check it out right it's a very well done documentary you know you brought something up a little bit earlier um just you know just the, i want to go back to the magnitude of this and the 400,000 people and if that was to happen nowadays it would just kind of it would look a lot different why do you think that is how do you think our culture has changed just from the late 60s early 70s to today as if you had that many people gathered in one place yeah you i mean you couldn't uh you know now if you go let's say you go to camping world stadium you know there's a finite number of seats there or even if you go to one of these events it's much more well organized you know uh this was thrown together like i said they they, they put up some fencing but the uh people that didn't have tickets just broke down the the uh, wire fence and, and just walked right in uh, so now it's much more organized i mean this we're talking 50 plus years later uh, but even the events, you know, in the 70s and 80s, just became much more organized. But at the same time, uh, conversely, became much more monetized, you know, mm-hmm. meaning people were were in it for the money. So here, like I said, it was $6 to get in. You know, five years later, it was probably $60 for a one-day ticket, you know. So it was all about the money and the, kind of the, 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 the innocence of that Woodstock era had disappeared because, again, with that, with the, uh, the death of the, uh, the, uh, the attendee at the Altamont Festival, things just changed and people mm-hmm. became a little bit more hardened and not quite as optimistic about what the future held. All right. Um, you, just to wrap things up here, what aspect of Woodstock is its main legacy, do you think? Is it the fact that so many people came? Is it the fact that it happened during kind of a cultural moment in our uh, history? Or is it the location? What do you think? Sure. It's all It's all of that. It's all, all of that rolled into one. You know, it, it was just like... Uh, all these stars converged into one point. You know, you had you, you had the the, uh, the the attendees that needed kind of a, a relief, some fun from all the bad news they were they were seeing and hearing from Vietnam War. Uh, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. Robert Kennedy was assassinated. So all of these bad, uh, uh, tragic events. So uh, you had that. You had the idea of of peacefulness. You know, three days of peace and love. And then also just the, 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 I mean, can you imagine having people of the status of like Janis Joplin and, and uh, Jimi Hendrix and um, uh, the Grateful Dead all in one concert? It, it just wouldn't happen anymore. You just, it just doesn't happen mm-hmm. when you have such huge acts anymore. So it just all kind of, all of those little, all of those things put together made, made for an amazing uh, historical event that, like I said, was one of the most important uh, cultural events of the last 20, uh, you know, la- the, the second half of the 20th century. Right. 
Well, I just went to a dairy farm recently for my show Parked. So if you want me to call them up, we can do a Woodstock round two. I don't know if Woodstock's really my scene, but (laughs) perfect. Well, George, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And um, enjoy your summer. I know it's not um, Woodstock, but enjoy your summer. I will. Thank you. Thank you. All right, if you missed anything from class, these are my office hours, and here are some top takeaways about the Woodstock Music Festival. Number one, what made Woodstock different is they only expected around 50 to 60,000 people to come, but 400,000 people ended up showing up. It was only $15 to go to the entire festival, which is something we aren't likely to see ever again. Number two, Woodstock was a culmination of a few previous festivals. Woodstock, New York had this recording studio and the festival was meant to raise money for this recording studio. There were challenges to the location of Woodstock, so they actually decided to hold it in Bethel, New York after Michael Lang, one of the producers of the festival, rode his motorcycle through the area and saw the rolling hills and natural amphitheater potential. And number three, there were several Woodstocks. There was one in 1969, one in 1994, and another in 1999, but none of them would live up to that magnitude of that one in 1969. A lot led up to Woodstock that year. 1967 was the summer of love. The U.S. was involved in the Vietnam War, and civil rights were on the forefront. So that's why Woodstock 69 lives in our history. For more podcasts, go to foxnewspodcast.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this one on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen and leave us a review. This has been Getting Schooled with Abby Hornacek on the Fox News Podcast Network. Class dismissed. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.